Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive, or if you think like one, and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve extraordinary results. And no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Ali Parsa. Ali is a serial healthcare entrepreneur and engineer. He founded uh, and he's now the CEO of Babylon, which is a revolutionary artificial intelligence and digital health company. Uh, in our conversation uh, today, you'll hear really about how Ali looks at the entrepreneurial journey, looks at the journey of business leadership, discusses the messy reality, and talks about how he gets teams aligned and kind of working together and engaged and accountable despite huge business growth. This is a company that is quadrupling in revenues every year uh, and is already at the multiple tens of millions, uh, moving into the hundreds of millions uh, level. So this is a company that's seen great growth. And yet you'll find with Ali, he offers really uh, humble and pragmatic thoughts about high-performance leadership. So enjoy this conversation with Ali Passa. Hi, Ali, and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Richard. So, hey, it's uh, it's really a, a pleasure and an honor to, ha honor to have you. You've um, you've done a lot of really interesting things. You know, you've built uh, Babylon Health. I know before that you um, you created Circle. Perhaps we'll get into that. Um, and so, I'm love to explore on this show a bit about your entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey, your journey as a leader, and what some of the lessons might be that we can draw from that story. Um, so, before we do that, why don't you just go ahead and just introduce yourself a little bit, um, perhaps a little bit of those key milestones in your in your professional journey up to now, just so we get a sense of who you are, and then we'll dive in. Sure. I am the founder of Babylon, um, uh, and uh, be, uh, uh, maybe I start from, from the beginning. I was born in a wonderfully loving middle-class Iranian family. Um, I had a uh, the most... Uh, 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 brilliant childhood you can imagine <clears throat> uh, we, we weren't rich but we weren't poor but but it was uh, I am always grateful to my parents for creating mm -hmm. an environment in which uh, their children uh, could feel safe secure loved uh, and thrive with the right values and they taught us the right values almost everything from there it's uh, it's uh, 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 irrelevant because uh, you, you they've given you the foundations to build everything else on, and I want to emphasize that. That's a it's, it's an interesting point actually. I know I, I occasionally see people saying, you know, um, you can't teach values; you have to hire for values, and you can teach skills, which I kind of get. Although I I always say you can teach values; it's called parenting. <laughs> <laughs> You're so right. You're so right, and nobody. Nobody trains us in this most important of jobs. Uh, mm. I know you're a parent and I'm a parent. 
and we all learn on the job. There is almost no other really important jobs we do for which we have zero training. Yeah. Uh, and in the old times, when families lived in extended family groups, uh, we would get apprenticeship. We watch yeah. how our aunts uh, bring up our uh, cousins and da 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 da. Uh, but we just don't do that anymore. And we get support from our own parents who were with us. But I'm an immigrant, so we didn't have uh, any family around us. So is my wife. She's also, uh, she came from Canada. Uh, so her parents were away. Uh, and we just learned on the job. Um, and, uh, you know, we all make our mistakes. And I'm sure our parents made our mess, uh, their mistakes too. What matters is that on the balance, it, uh, uh, it hopefully worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so so you had your Iranian childhood, which sounded um, sounded great, and then and then what were the major steps from there to where you so were? So then, then I arrived in UK as a refugee um, uh, after the Iranian Revolution uh, to pursue my studies. I went. Uh, I didn't have any money, so I had to put myself through education, uh, uh, which uh, which I got lucky. I got into University College London, which is uh, which is a wonderful institution. I did my. Uh, uh, degree there, I, and then I joined the National Union of Students. I was there as the national executive uh, uh, for for a year, and then I came back to do a PhD in physics, uh, which I loved. But again, I had to work in order to pay for it. Uh, even though I was uh, lucky enough to be the recipient of the of of the scholarship uh, at my uh, thing, but the scholarships were not enough, so I had to build a company, uh, and I got the bug for business then. Uh, uh, I became an investment banker after my PhD was finished. Um, I uh, the last thing I did was to uh, uh, help build uh, the technology uh, M&A businesses of Goldman in Europe. Um, and uh, when my uh, first child, my daughter, was born, I decided to uh, quit. And uh, first, I thought I'm going to be a parent. Um, six months of spending time with my uh, baby at the time, I dis- I thought this is too hard a job. So I, I went back to become, and I thought I should become an entrepreneur again. Uh, and uh, through a series of steps, I ended up building Circle, which is today, I think, UK's largest private hospital group. Uh, but I left uh, Circle fundamentally because I thought hospitals are solving the wrong problem. Uh, mm. And in healthcare, instead of focusing on sick care, we should really focus on how do you keep people healthy. Mm. Uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you and I used to drive our cars until it got uh, kind of, until something went wrong and broke. And then we took it to a mechanic to fix it, often at huge expense. Mm. Today, we buried enough sensors in our cars and we take it for regular uh, uh, service. Uh, so our cars don't break as, uh, as much uh, and they go much longer and they cost a lot less to maintain. And I don't understand uh, why don't we do that with the human body. Mm. So uh, we have the technology today to be able to monitor ourselves uh, continuously and to proactively manage people and keep them healthy rather than wait for their emergencies and crisis to intervene then. And that's mm. what we built Babylon to do, to make healthcare accessible, affordable, and put it in the hands of hopefully one day every human being on earth. That's amazing. And and what's the what's the state of Babylon now? Kind of what's the size of the organization or where are you in that whole process? Well, we are at our very, very beginning. We are at our infancy. We are six, seven years old. So we're like any other five, six year old child. Mm. Uh, we uh, hopefully have the right foundation, as you and I were talking about, and have the right values to grow mm. 
from which but right now we are tiny we mm. uh, employ about 2000 people we are uh, we have clinical operations in UK uh, in North America in Africa <clears throat> and uh, people across Asia and many other parts uh, of the world use our software we are paid for our software to be used by about 20 uh, something million people our clinical services is open to about uh, 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 a few million customers, uh, and there is about 200,000 people for whom we have the entire budget of healthcare or a big proportion of the budget of healthcare, whether the primary care or the entire budget. And and we and that those are the group uh, or the business we're most interested in because what it allows us to do is to instead of uh, paying for emergencies and crises, is to reinvest the money upfront on keeping people healthy um, so that we don't have to uh, wait for the uh, things to go wrong and then just pay for fixing them. Mm, beautiful. So so I'm, I'm intrigued, right? So you've really had these th- at, least, at least three. I know there was even more in that, but you've had this investment banking uh, stint. You know, you then built out a whole um, encircle this hospital, you know, clinical business. And then you realize that's solving the wrong problem and you build out this, this health-focused, prevention-focused uh, business. Um, was your success formula kind of the same in all of those three worlds? Did you kind of rely on the same strengths, the same approach, or did you find you had, you had to change and reinvent yourself in different ways? Well, in both, it's... it's uh... I mean, first of all, success is an assumption, right? Uh, it's uh, we failed in equal measures that we succeeded, uh, and uh, and there, there is a um, the jury is still out how we'll uh, how we'll end up. Uh, where we succeeded is the fact that, and what I'm most proud of, is is some of the achievements we had. Like today, we deliver a clinical consultation uh, or a, a intervention with a patient or a member one it's every five seconds somewhere in the world um and uh, uh, and that obviously uh, gives us a huge amount of pleasure so in that respect we're doing fine but in there are many areas and we can talk about it where we're not doing uh, so fine so i don't want to glorify uh, on, only on one side but but there has never been one single approach you learn constantly right i think one of the great um, expressions about entrepreneurs is that entrepreneurs don't lose, they, they learn. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that is important, uh, that keep learning. So I made many mistakes uh, that we kept learning and, uh, and spending time to analyze, figure out what went wrong and try to build on it. So I'm not sure. Can I, can I, can I just slow you down on that point? I think that idea about entrepreneurs don't lose, they learn is, is actually really important because especially actually in the world of corporate, I, I do notice a lot of people are, are really obsessed about, you know, is this risky? Is this not? Am I going to lose? Am I going to win? And I think um, when you reframe it as learning, then so much more becomes possible. It's incredible, isn't it? Like when you think about it, the entire objective of an organization, it's, above everything else, is to serve, or an economic one, is mm. to serve its customers, right? A need yeah. of a customer, mm. right? And if that need is already being served, 
you have two approaches to it. You either say, look, I am continuing doing exactly what I did uh, and I won't change anything. The reality is that customer is not stagnant. Our culture changes, people's mm. habits change, uh, you know, Usually, you need to change things. Now, there are people like the producers of Nutella uh, that have kept doing exactly what they did and nothing nothing changed, uh, right? Uh, but vast majority of businesses can't do that. And then there are businesses who come in and try to change new uh, 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 serve new needs. And this concept that we cannot take risk, we cannot fail, is just extraordinary to me because... Um, and it goes back to the conversation we were having from from the uh, at the beginning about how we parent our children. Uh, often people are telling their children they cannot fail. That be careful, things go may go wrong. You may fall, <laughs> you may. But I mean, part and parcel of growing up is to fall, is to break a bone, to mm. you know what I mean, to take a risk, right? Uh, and uh, and it's the same about corporate life. And I find it astonishing. Uh, how we have as a society become so risk averse. Um, it's uh, uh, there is no such thing as progress without taking a risk because yeah. you uncharted territories by definition are risky. Well, yeah, and and what's risk anyway, right? Um, uh, often the riskiest thing you can do is not take a risk, is what I often say, because if you're learning, then you're investing. You know, you are investing in yourself, right? You are becoming more robust, more resilient, more able to process new challenges. Um, and yeah, so one of, one of the impact multipliers that I talk about with, with leaders is how do you accelerate learning? Accelerate your own learning, yeah. but also accelerate your organization's learning, right? How do you become an organization that actually celebrates learning? I say you don't want to celebrate failure necessarily, but you do want to celebrate the learning that comes from failure, that is something that's worth cele celebrating, right? Um, and uh, so many, so many teams. I work with executive teams often, and they they don't have a, a learning culture built in, right? They've they've got a task culture. They're focused on what, what we've got to get done and what we need to do, and the quarter and everything else. But they haven't really baked in. How do we learn together? How do we get better at getting better? Where do we need to challenge our own assumptions? And I think those are really game-changing conversations. Very true. Very hard to do, though, Richard. It's mm. easier to say, like most things in life, right? We all know that uh, we need to stay fit, uh, be trim, uh, be active. All of those things uh, look uh, uh, look great. But these things are hard things to do. And managing an organization, management, as you know, is one of the hardest things on the planet. Mm. Bringing a group of people together and getting them to work uh, towards the same mission and goal mm. in harmony, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. I remember once having dinner with Sir Alec Ferguson. I got lucky mm -hmm. and, and ended up sitting with him and uh, in, in some event. And he asked me what I do at the time I was running Circle and representing three, four, five thousand people. And then I asked him that, uh, how come he so does so well? And uh, and he said, what are you talking about? I can pay people uh, anything almost at the time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, insane amount of money. 
and uh, and source my talents from all over the world. And all I need is a squad of 20, 25 people, right? And I have the best brand in the world to do so. Then I train them day in, day out, six days a week almost for mm. hours, right? And mm. all they got to do is perform for one and a half hours a week at the time. And still, they do it half the, half the times badly and half the times, right? You know, this idea that management is easy. I love it when, like, sometimes you're talking to somebody and, and younger people come in and say, like, if only you did it this way, or this is what we should do, or that's how easy it is. And you just think, look, guy, nothing in life is managing other people is very hard. Nobody succeeds and questionably we all have failures and successes you know we just need to keep going but do the best we can hello it's richard here with a quick interlude these conversations are all about upgrading how you think about creating impact so here's a resource to help you do just that whilst staying fast and focused the ceo's checklist for challenging times is a quick way to enhance your thinking and detect blind spots, even when things are moving incredibly fast and you're not sure what's going to happen next. You can get this powerful checklist of 17 world-class strategies by heading to xquadrant.com forward slash go forward slash challenging times checklist with a hyphen between each of those three last words. Now, back to the conversation. So what have you found, Ali, that has work for you how do you manage people um uh, or, or what have you found has be, become your own style so i think what is really important it starts with giving people or, or sharing with people a mission mm. that people uh, can identify with everybody has a choice on where they work nowadays we're not we're in a world of very little unemployment and especially highly talented, highly skilled people have many, many choices. Mm. And many of them have made the money they need or in whatever choice they make, uh, they, they will get paid what they need uh, to get paid. So the question really becomes that can you share a set of values together? Can you give them a mission, an objective that they identify with? So to me, it starts with that mission. Yeah. Uh, uh, second, is that then people need clarity. No mission can be achieved by just thinking it through. You need to go through a set of steps. I'm going from A to B to C to D until I get to the Z. But this uh, uh, clarity of what it is you do is really important. So every six months, and actually now we find that perhaps we should do it every three months, we do uh, take our entire organization through what we call our wows. Uh, what is it that you're going to do? Who's going to own it? And when is it that it's going to be delivered? So it's very clear that everybody knows in our organization, important that everybody knows exactly what their wow for the next yeah. three to six months is towards that mission. Uh, and, and that way also everybody can see that are they going to, to the mission or not. Uh, and thirdly, and I think is equally important, is that we need a sense of personal ownership and individual uh, responsibility. Mm. So almost everybody needs to know what is it that I own in that process, mm. right? Um, yeah. uh, if you can get these three things right, uh, uh, and then of course it's it's a constant review. Like did we get it right? Did we get it wrong? Uh, uh, there should be flexibility. You can't have uh, 
constant, uh, if you want, <coughs> um, stubbornness that say, well, that's what I decided to do. That's what I'm going to do. If, if it proves to be wrong, it's wrong, right? I mean, we all make wrong decisions. Let's just cut that uh, mistake and move on. Now, very hard to do. The easy part is the mission part getting a whole group of people to agree on vows that, that correlate and actually work in, uh, in, in harmony, it's hard because people say, I have to choose my own uh, uh, vow and somebody separately would say, I have to choose my own objective, but these two need to match <laughs> somehow, right? So getting that persuasion is hard. Get, getting people to take personal ownership mm. uh, is harder than one we think. We all think we want it. Until things go wrong, then, then you know what I mean. Uh, success has many parents, and failure is an orphan, right? So, so take these these things mm. are hard things to do, <clears throat> and I don't think as as managers we should shy away from sharing how hard it is. I hear mm. far too many people talking about their successes. Mm. I wish that more of us talked about how incredibly hard it is to get it done and seek more help, yeah. more discussions, more. Uh, mm. And I know you have a business and you have a thing of helping people think this through and good for you for doing that. People do need help. Well, it's interesting because um, I think what you're talking about, it's hard. It's, I always say when I'm working, especially with teams, but also with leaders, but definitely with teams, um, you know, there is no five-step process um, because every team is different, right? And often we say, well, this is just the five steps. But like I always say, you've got a team with relationship issues. It might not be that you just need to go and do everybody's Myers-Briggs. It might be that as a team, you haven't renegotiated um, stakeholder agreements. So you're all under pressure because you've got unrealistic expectations on you. So the relationship, it's, 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 just, it's just a cause that everybody's under pressure. Everybody's under friction. And so it's, that's, that's, an, that's an effect. The cause is somewhere else. The cause is in your ability to manage stakeholders. And I think... Um, on a similar level, when you've got any team or any, you know, any group of people, um, there are these moving parts. It exists within a complex system of other stakeholders with their own demands. Um, and I, th I think you're right, getting clarity, um, having a mission, say, that creates, creates commitment that people are, are in for this and getting clarity around, well, how do I contribute? And then the ownership is do I actually feel, is this my baby or is it, you know, Ali's baby that he's just given me? I say, imagine someone wants to open your door and just thrust a baby into your arms and said, Ali, have a, this baby. You wouldn't feel that it's your baby, right? You feel it's a burden. Um, whereas if you make a baby, then it's your baby and you're... Yes. But you need to make sure that uh, using your analogy, you make babies that, uh, that can play together, right? I mean, a lot of people... Um, and, and we went through this. We went through ups and downs. There was a period of time in our organization where uh, we uh, said, uh, look, as we grow and we go from a few hundred people to a few thousand people or a couple of thousand people, how do you keep that sense of uh, entrepreneurial uh, little tribe? So we turned mm. the organization into small groups, 10, 20 people, uh, 30 people, and said, here is your objective or they chose their own. And what we found was in some areas we did really well, usually where we had a very good leader to do it, but in some areas we did really badly, right? People kind of chose their own objectives, tried to kind of uh, um, didn't deliver what they needed to do, da, da, da. And, and, it, and we found very quickly, it's an absolute 
a mistake to also go too much to the other extreme of saying everybody needs independence, everybody needs to figure out their own thing, because we work as a unit, as a group. Mm -hmm. To me, a sports team is a great uh, analogy, Mm -hmm. a team of individuals who are brilliant technical players are uh, is useless if the team cannot work together yeah. and all uh, 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 pass uh, the ball and move in this in harmony. A very hard thing to achieve, uh, Richard. Uh, and anybody, anybody who thinks management is easy or there is one solution to everything has never managed before. I can tell. I now know that <laughs> yeah. in absolute yeah. confidence. And, and um, your whole comment there around the 20 to 30 people groups is interesting, actually, because I say often the best results, I think, really do come from groups who are small enough to care and big enough to dare, right? And so if everyone's just fragmented doing their own thing, you don't get the momentum. You don't get the um yeah that that drive because i'm got my objective but the system is not set up to help me achieve my objective because it's just me whereas if you've got a group of us and we get on board with a common goal then we can like make things happen as a group and we can even change the overall system in which we're working to achieve our objectives so i I think that's really very um, true there's one word you use there's, there's the first part of what you just said that needs to be emphasized, which is a small enough to care. Mm. I think people underestimate the value of caring, mm. right? Uh, we all have good days and bad days. We're all under pressure. There are times our colleagues call us and we don't sugarcoat yeah. uh, the, the words that we want to use. Sometimes we are under, time is not there and we just get straight to the point, right? Really? People will forgive you for all of that if they knew at the back of your head, you really cared. If when it mattered, you took the time and thought it through for them, right? Uh, That is the most important thing in management. We often forget that people need to know and you need to genuinely care uh, for your colleagues. Mm. Uh, We are all, I I find it amazing. Uh, Like I was talking to somebody that remains unnamed, uh, and they were telling me, uh, one of the worst behaved, a dreadful human being, frankly, between you and I. <laughs> but, but they were telling me about their charitable work. And I thought, that's amazing, isn't it? They, they're easy to give money away, mm-hmm. right? But it's harder and it means more to actually be civil, to be polite, to care about people around you, right? I, I mean, it was a almost a misogynistic, like, like almost racist, horrible person. Like, I mean, I just spent very little time with them, but I, I thought it's fascinating to me how we can whitewash so much of not being a decent human being, by just assuming, oh, that's easy. I just gave some money away and bought charitable or philanthropic, right? Um, well, we, we, we create an identity for ourselves and we, we don't always see the other side. I mean, part of what I do is to help people um, look at their blind spots, right? And, and that's a really hard thing to do. Um, we often don't have the data. So you know, most people, they don't get out of bed in the morning wanting to be, you know, idiots or jerks, right? But if you talk to how many people feel that their managers are demotivating, uh, you know, disempowering, uh, all the rest of it, you know, it's huge. And, and so, you know, I'm always, I think it was Marshall Goldsmith, he, he did a, a study and he interviewed thousands and thousands of, uh, of professionals. 
and I think it was, I forget the exact numbers, but it's 80% of people felt they were in the top 50%, you know, and 50% and of people thought they were in the top 10% in, in terms of management skills and how high a performer they are, right? So we all kind of kid ourselves that we're better than we are. It's like driving. Everyone thinks they're the, you know, above average driver, <laughs> right? Um, and, and so I think um, creating an environment where we're forced to hear things that don't fit our own self-perception is really important. And that can be really hard for CEOs because actually everybody tends to want to tell you yes. <laughs> and, and by the way, Richard, there's no one way to succeed, right? You can be an exceptionally uh, successful CEO for your company while still being a jerk, right? Uh, I mean, there are great examples yeah. of it. Like by all accounts, Apple and Steve Jobs mm. was not the easiest place to work. We yeah. just all read about my old firm, Goldman Sachs, how the uh, group of analysts asked for 90 hours maximum working uh, weeks or 80 hours maximum working weeks. And the CEO just came out and gracefully said, I'll give you the Saturdays off, right? Uh, and I tell you what that uh, doesn't tell you is all the politics, all the, uh, not bullying, but intimidation and yeah and favoritism that goes on in these firms. And yet these firms like Goldman and others are highly, highly successful organizations. So this idea that uh, you just have to do all these things that these academics often tell you, like, and mm. that's the only way to be successful mm. is not true. I mean, when we created Babylon, we kind of said on public mission is to make healthcare accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of every human being on earth. But our private mission, our secret mission, is to see whether we can do so while not being jerks. Because often it's pretty easy, it's almost easier to be successful by not being uh, very kind and human and inside your organization. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think Mourinho, uh, as a football coach, when he got into Tottenham, uh, uh, kind of said, uh, to those uh, players that, look, you're just too nice. You need to be harsher on the field. Uh, now, I, I don't want to make a judgment on Mourinho or on Tottenham. I'm an Arsenal fan. Uh, but but my point is that uh, uh, sometimes it's easier just to dehumanize yourself mm. to get to your objective. Uh, um, uh, but I think it's important to stay human. Uh, and and still try and get to Europe. So my point That's, is, there's no right or wrong. Uh, there is no, uh, maybe there is a right or wrong, but there's no one way yeah. to achieve to achieve uh, an objective, and we shouldn't simplify. It's a great point. And that's really why I talk about impact, because impact is really multidimensional, right? And um, you know, what, I always ask, what's the impact you want to have on your market, uh, on your company, you know, on the people in your teams? Uh, you know, on your family, right? Impact covers all of these things. And you don't necessarily want to optimize, you know? Yeah, you can optimize for one kind of impact and sub-optimize and other things, right? Um, sure, you know, you could, you might want to optimize on making the biggest amount of money, but if, does that mean, you know, you actually make everyone's life a misery in the process? Is that the kind of person you want to be? You get to choose, right? Personally, it's not, that's not the setup that I would go for, <laughs> right? Um, but absolutely, you're right that people can optimize those dials in, in very different ways. 
Let me ask, uh, Ali, uh, uh, no time's moving on. Let me ask you kind of about, um, and there's so many places we could go, and my mind's buzzing with ideas, but let's think about the future because obviously you're on this growth trajectory. Um, what's, what are the challenges for you in this coming season, right? You talked about success and failure and things you get right and things you don't get right, but how are you going to need to like, change how you lead to take Babylon to its next level? How are you going to put yourself under the microscope? So I don't know. It's a really uh, good point. Uh, Babylon, uh, it's, as I said, six, six, seven years old now. Uh, But when you consider the first couple of years, you're just kind of building a product and not doing anything, right? Mm. Um, And almost since uh, we started making money, we quadrupled our revenue a year every single year. Uh, now, it sounds like a lot, but when you start from zero, <laughs> quadrupling, it's... Now, we, are, we did um, uh, tens of millions of dollars, like $80 million of revenue last year. This year, we will do hundreds of millions of dollars. We should do four times more again this year, right? Yeah. Um, now, and then the next year and the year after, we should just keep going, right? Uh, and we're going from one country into multiple countries, so on and so forth. I, as a CEO, have never been the CEO of an organization of billions of dollars of revenue where we should be uh, operating across the globe where we should be, so on and so forth. So I have a lot of self-learning to do. Now, the truth is that most successful CEOs in the world uh, have also never been there until they got there. Like uh, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, like he, the only CEO he ever was, was, uh, uh, was of Amazon. And every... Yeah. Uh, thing he did was the first time for him. I don't believe you do that without constantly changing and constantly learning, right? So I spend a huge amount of my time uh, uh, trying to uh, learn, self-discover, focus. Uh, uh, If I look at my diary, my assistant wonderfully does a job where she uh, uh, puts uh, in red uh, all the free times I have, what she calls focus time uh, mm-hmm. in my diary versus blue, which is all the uh, scheduled time I have. Yeah. And and the balance between red and blue is really important. At least a third of the day, I love it to be r- red. And it's interesting that the colors she, she chooses because blue seems to be colored of serenity. So you would have thought the focus time would be blue. But actually, it's it's the real important time. Absolutely. It's the time that you have to sit, do your reading, do your thinking. Uh, uh, every meeting you go, you have to be prepared for. So you have something important <laughs> to say. Otherwise, you go in if you haven't read your papers and you tell people, uh, how. Uh, la- now tell me about it, right? Well, if you spend a few times reading and thinking about it, then you go and not waste other people's time. So I think there is a lot that I have to change. I just don't know what those things are. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, I love your, you know, that focus on thinking and reflection, slowing it down. Um, I often say the thing that holds most people back is they don't have time just to think, what's the one phone call I need to make? What's the one conversation I need to have? What would be the one project that would change everything, make everything else easier? So I love the fact that it's really in your calendar. I, I like you. I have a color-coded calendar as well um, with not quite the same 
but similar um similar focuses and yeah on a monday it's i have no you know that's focused my, my focus day deep work day deep work is is so important so yeah so i'm hearing that yeah you're going to be going from an 18 you know 18 million business to a multiple hundreds million business to probably a billion uh, or more in just a couple of years so let me ask you one question i know it's hard for you to, to, to say what's going to change but like if um if I was speaking with your executive team, what do you think they would say? Like, what's the thing where, where they think you're getting in the way of the business, where you're slowing things down? Um, it's a really good question. And as you said earlier on, often we are not self-aware, right? So we don't mm. know what mm. it is. Um, so I don't know what they're going to say in future mm. but I know for instance something we just did recently uh-huh. uh, which we had to do which was uh, uh, when we went from a few hundred people to a few uh, uh, to, or a couple of thousand people a thousand, yeah. um, uh, we did what you said small groups care for each other so we said okay we are increasing our team so we went and we allowed, we said, okay, all of our previous leaders, let's go and build our teams, right? Uh, because we have the money to go do so and we have the uh, ability to do so. And and I think after we did that, after a while, people came and said, uh, look, uh, he's not able of doing this. She's not able of doing this. You know what I mean? And, uh, and we saw that actually the mistake we made, that loyalty to our people was actually the wrong thing to do. We should have been loyal to them up to their capability, but they would have done better if we brought somebody to help them who's already run multi-tens of Hmm. thousands of people organizations. And so we just changed our leadership team almost entirely by bringing people like the former president of Google Cloud, the former COO of one of Amazon's strategic businesses, the former uh, mm-hmm. uh, head of AI and uh, uh, and data from Expedia, people who run very large, built some of the yeah. largest businesses in the world, some of the largest platforms in the world, and 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 that was the right thing to do, uh, and and but that we did it after our own people started saying we need to bring better managers into our. That didn't mm-hmm. mean our previous team was wrong or bad. It just meant they needed a new set of skills. Mm. And many of those people are still with us, thriving and doing really well under the new leadership. So, yeah. uh, so that if if you if you ask me what I screwed up really badly a year ago, mm. eighteen months ago, that was it. Got it. Uh, uh, and I am sure in eighteen months we'll talk about. And I tell you, look, I was completely oblivious to what I was doing wrong, <laughs> as you and I were talking today. That's just the nature of not knowing what you know what I mean. Uh, not go, knowing the territory you're entering new. Mm. And by the way, Richard, there's nothing wrong with this. The reason I'm sharing this with you, mm. a lot of people will say, "Oh my gosh, this journalist or this detractor or this uh, uh, Twitter." Uh, mm. Uh, thing will come after you and say, oh, he admitted that he made mistakes. So what? We make mistakes, right? Uh, Everybody does. And anybody who tells you they don't, they're either liars or they're delusional. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for your humility and your honesty around that. I think it's absolutely true. And I think that, 
you know, that, that ability to make mistakes, learn, move on, you know, is well has obviously served you so well. Um, we're fully out of time, Ali. Um, how, if people, and thank you for a fascinating conversation. I think we've we've dived into some fascinating um, topics, um, you know, not least of which has been this whole idea of learning uh, and changing, and and having to think about a new future. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or find out more about Babylon, how do they do that? Uh, I, I'm I'm only on one single social media, uh, which is uh, uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, and I like LinkedIn because you can't be uh, anonymous, you can't be abusive, you can't show all the worst of humanity that comes out yeah. on dreadful uh, uh, behaviors uh, that we see on Twitter and the like. Uh, always delighted to connect with people there. Unfortunately, nowadays I get so many messages that I don't necessarily manage it myself, but I'm always told about uh, people contacting or we can direct them to the right person. Uh, you can find about us there or on our uh, website or by just getting in touch. We're all basic human beings and we try to do our best to accommodate people's needs and asks. Perfect. Right. Well, I'll, I'll put those links into the, uh, into the show notes. And um, Ali, thanks once again. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, Thank you for having me. Many thanks. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.